I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and create this podcast. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were living sustainable lives long before their countries and nations were invaded. I'd like to pay my respect to Elders past and present and extend that respect to any Indigenous people from around the world who are listening. Hello, you're listening to Be Hope Wildlife with me, Bethany Hope Gargett. In this episode, the incredible Yasmin Cole, known online as Glacier Gal Yaz, introduces us to the amazing world of geoscience, also called earth science. For context, this interview was recorded in November 2020, so keep that in mind while listening. If you, like me at the time of recording, know nothing about geoscience, then this is the episode for you. It's also a good one if you're about to start uni or if you want to learn more about climate change. This conversation made a subject I did at uni last semester feel so much more approachable and interesting. I hope you learned something new and enjoy the episode. Yasmin Cole, welcome to Be Hope Wildlife. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) It's awesome to have you. Um, So I was just wondering if you could start by telling us what a glaciovolcanologist is, because I saw that's how you describe yourself on one of your Instagram posts. Yeah, so a glaciovolcanologist is someone who studies glaciers and volcanoes together. So um, kind of like what effect they have on each other. So like a volcano kind of getting ready for an eruption will have effects on the glacier, but then the glacier being there will cause things like the eruption to get worse. Um, There's kind of a lot of things that you can tell from it, but I'm also in sort of a stage where glaciovolcanism is something which I really enjoy, but, um, and it's what I wanted to do my master's thesis on, but I don't know if that's going to happen now. Um, I'm in a bit of a weird phase, we'll put it like that, trying to figure out exactly what my little path's going to be. Is it an area of geoscience then? Yeah, geoscience, earth science. um, Yeah, you can kind of look at both. I think I would use them as interchangeable terms. I know that not everyone would, though. Mm -hmm. Um, And could you give us an idea of what that broader term, earth science and geoscience, means? Yeah, so it's sort of like the study of um, Earth. So if you're looking at Earth science, then it will include, so like your topics of geology, geography, um, and then a bit of environmental science. So anything where you're looking at the planet, it can be stuff on the surface, um, like glaciers and climate change, rivers, kind of anything natural that you can think of, things that are below the surface. So... Um, obviously you've got like your volcanoes but you've got if you know anything about rocks you've got things like metamorphic rocks you've got all of the earth's tectonic plates which kind of move around together but then you've got also um, like the human side of it so you can study people um, the way they're distributed and then things like the effects that humans have on the planet Wow, that is huge. It's literally study of our whole earth and planet and world like that's big. Um, like I think people know about things like you know biology, chemistry, physics, but they don't realize there's a whole other side to it which ties all those three things together. Um, yeah, I know I definitely didn't for a long time. How did you first um, learn about it and become interested in it? I think my journey is quite funny because 
I know that um, in England, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but we do geography um, when we start secondary school, so from the age of like 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get to your GCSEs at like 14, 15, you choose if you want to carry it on or not. And at that point, I was like, I hate geography. I don't ever want to do it again. Hmm. Uh, but I was I was so into my science, and at that point, I wanted to be a vet. So I went to do I went to college to do my A levels, um, which is like 17, 18, that kind of age. Um, and I was picking what I wanted to do, and I'd done uh, biology and chemistry, and then I saw geology, and I kind of I started looking into it, and I realised it was a way for me to kind of tie all of my science knowledge in together. Um, so I did it then and I absolutely loved it. I loved that, as I said, like it literally brought everything that I'd studied for however many years kind of into one subject. Um, and then I got to uni and realised that actually I was wrong when I was like 14 and that I love geography. So it's been a funny little journey to get here. That's interesting that, um, yeah, the, I think the environment can really have an impact on your feelings about a certain topic or something like that. Like maybe your classroom just wasn't the right environment for you to be passionate about that topic until you saw it in that perspective of later study. Yeah, I think that, that the one module that I had in my first year at uni was called Physical Geography of the Anthropocene. And in my geology lessons, I'd heard about... Um, the Anthropocene and it kind of it caught my attention and it wasn't I kind of obviously I did that module and it was my first real experience as like a bit older doing geography and I realized actually that it wasn't just studying coffee like I did when I was younger and there was so much more to it. And what does Anthropocene mean? So the Anthropocene is um, a new um, geological period it's it's sort of surrounded by um, a bit of controversy but the basic premise is that the Anthropocene is the new geological time period which is kind of been created by the human effects on the planet and that's why there's some controversy around it because when you're sort of deciding when a time period is um, you have to make some decisions on where exactly that period starts um so if you kind of look at ones in the past it might be that all the dinosaurs um obviously there was that extinction event there's been a lot of other extinction events but people have different opinions for the anthropocene so some believe that it should be um several thousand years ago at what we currently call the start of the holocene when humans first started doing things like farming as you'll notice that kind of like in the in like the land records Um, things started to change because humans stopped being kind of like migratory and started doing this farming practice. Um, Some people think it should be at the start of the Industrial Revolution, which is when climate change started to kick off. And then some people think that it should be when the first um, nuclear bomb was dropped. So it sort of, yeah, it very much varies based on who you talk to. What was that last one? Um, So when Hiroshima happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, when they dropped the bomb. Because obviously that was something completely new in the record. Um, yeah. We all know what kind of effects that has, so yeah. That's interesting, because they're all so different. Like, they're almost different. Like, one of them is about, like, the land, and some of them are about, like, the outputs into the air. And it's interesting that they all 
have an effect on the environment as a whole and geology I guess as well yeah definitely like I think that maybe the more recent ones you'd think of but you might not think about the one to do with farming because it's it's just been a thing for us for so long but actually that wasn't always a thing so it had to have an effect somewhere mm. um something that you talk about quite a lot on your Instagram is hazards and I was wondering if you could give us an idea of what hazards are in geoscience Yeah, so my actual degree was on environmental hazards and geology. So I've got quite an interest in that hazard side. Um, So hazards are basically, um, or hazards in like geohazards, so geological hazards are hazards which happen because of um, the geology. Um, They don't always negatively affect people. If you think about an earthquake happening, obviously before humans were here, then it wouldn't have negatively affected us. But a lot of geological hazards, we say the only reason that they're so dangerous is because of the presence of people. Um, And the kind of things that we talk about are the ones that you might expect sort of the most. So, you know, you've got your earthquakes, your volcanoes, um, you've got something called mass movement or landslides. So when large amounts of either um, the rock or kind of like the surface material that hasn't yet become that solid rock form when it slips you've then got things like so glaciers they form these lakes as they melt obviously this is something which is getting worse at the minute and eventually these lakes kind of break and all that water floods downstream but you find that a lot of people kind of live on those um like riverbanks downstream because it's a place where you get a lot of resources There's also some more like environmental hazards. So if you think about things like landfills, obviously that's more of like a human side of it, but they Mm. will also have um, impacts, which is negative kind of for the planet. I guess that ties in with climate change, which is something you're quite passionate about. Uh, So would a hazard be what we talk about when we talk about the negative climate change effects? Definitely. So the effects that you get from climate change are, I suppose they're slightly different um, mm-hmm. because some of them are kind of things that you wouldn't immediately think of. So something that people talk about a lot when they talk about climate change is sea level rise. Mm. So basically as um, the ice that's on earth so we don't count ice that's in the water we only count ice that's like on land mm-hmm. um as that melts the sea level will get higher as well one which people don't think of as obviously is uh, so if you imagine water um kind of like the water particles as they get warmer they actually expand um they oh. get bigger which then makes the sea level higher oh um, when you think about it it seems so obvious but I yeah. think until until someone says it, you don't think of it. Um, but yes, yeah, so sea levels rising, which is affecting people in um, in kind of like low lying areas. So I know that one which I studied quite a lot at uni was Bangladesh. So the sea level is rising. Bangladesh is very low, and it's starting to kind of flood the area. And there's a lot of people when you look at the distribution of like the population in Bangladesh who live on like the seafront area in countries like um, England and the US. Obviously that that affects us as well. 
I know the example in uh, the US is New York and here in England it's uh, London. But because we're like a more developed country, we have the money and the resources to kind of prepare ourselves against that. So sea level especially affects um, those sort of less developed countries. There's also other impacts that you wouldn't think of. So underneath the ground is kind of like the, there's a lot of water and that's the water that we'll drink. But in places like Bangladesh, the saline water from the city as the sea level rises will go in under the ground and it actually sort of contaminates their water source. Okay. So it means that they can't, this water goes from a good freshwater source to salt water. So although it's not a hazard where you think, oh, like thousands of people are going to die in one event, actually, that's really going to affect people because it affects them drinking, it affects their crops. Um, other things which affect their crops, obviously you've got things like drought or on the other hand, um, the weather getting worse. So like sort of excess storms. Um, so storms happening more often and the actual storms when they take place are a lot worse. Um, there's so many different impacts. Like the more you think about it, the more that kind of come to mind. So these are all things that are kind of uh, happening or are likely to happen soon, which is a bit overwhelming. But I've yeah. seen on your Instagram, sorry, I keep mentioning your Instagram. It's just a very good Instagram page. Uh, Glacier Gal Yaz, if anybody would like to follow it, but we'll talk about that again later. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what can be done to possibly reverse or mitigate some of these issues? Yes, yeah, so um, there's things that can be done on like a really big scale and things that can be done on a smaller scale. So um, on that sort of bigger scale is getting the politics changed, um, sort of the big companies changing their ways, which is obviously a bit harder. So if we start from sort of like the ground up, things that we can do, um, something which is maybe a little bit controversial, I am, um, I follow a plant-based diet. I'm part of a lot mm -hmm. of vegan sort of groups. I don't believe that everyone should go vegan, which is the controversial part, as a lot of vegans would disagree <laughs> with me. Um, but there's actually really good environmental impacts from it. So I think that something that everyone can do is sort of reduce your consumption of like meat and dairy and things like that. We can look at the way that we're getting around. So obviously, the more that you drive, um, there's sort of like more emissions being given off. So if you can get public transport or walk, obviously, that's not always possible. But looking at things like that. And there's fashion as well. There's been a lot more over the last probably year or so about fast fashion and the negative impacts it has um, and sort of the, the wastefulness of it. I think that's a big thing when you look at the climate or environmental movement is how sort of wasteful we are, even if you don't realise it. And then all the kind of the things that we can do to change that. So, you know, the big one for me is... I try to buy, you know, my clothes secondhand because it's not taking as many resources. But then if I do want to buy something new, I won't just buy something that I'll wear once and then never look at again. I make mm -hmm. sure that it's always something which I, the way that I work it out in my head is like for every time I wear it, I give myself a pound. So if I can at least earn the money back on that item, then I know it's <laughs> worth the cost. 
I, I think it's how I started justifying paying money for things, but it sort of developed a little bit from that for me. That's um, a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, like, uh, as I say, like, I think I'm a little bit stingy. <laughs> I, I don't like to spend too much money. So I think it was always my way of just making sure that I was things were worth it. But then that meaning of worth it for me has developed from being just about how much it costs me to how much it costs the planet. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like when you start to look at bigger things, um, as I say, it's sort of more the politics and um, kind of like what the big companies are doing. I know that, I mean, for a lot of reasons, people don't buy from Amazon anymore. But when you're buying from a, a big company like that, it's funding more less environmentally friendly practices. If you think you're buying something, it's being shipped all across the world whereas you could buy it locally. Um, and obviously you want the government to sort of change their policies. So doing what you can to be um, involved with politics, whether that's taking on a more active role or even just voting. Um, what are some uh, changes you think big companies should make and policies that should be implemented? Um, I think that if you look at sort of the trying to think how to word it the information that's given to governments um sort of by the scientists there is actually a lot of information which they look at they don't ignore it but they don't sort of ignore how important it is um mm. so they tend to implement a lot of things like we're going to have completely renewable energy or um like all electric cars but they set deadlines that are quite far away obviously it's quite difficult to say by next year we're going to have completely renewable energy. But if they say we're going to have completely renewable energy by 2025 instead of, I don't know what the exact kind of year is, but 2040, that's a massive impact because that's 15 years difference in yeah. sort of what you're doing for the planet. Um, that's sort of the thing that kind of springs to mind is just looking at the scale because I feel like a lot of the governments at the minute are sort of they're starting to go the right direction but just not quick enough what what would be quick enough like when do we kind of reach the point of no return if you have any idea about that um I don't know the kind of exact number off my head but it's it's a lot sooner than 2040 we'll put it that way yeah, yeah. um I know that there was quite a good Instagram post that I saw yesterday is obviously when we were recording this, this is around the US election results. Mm -hmm. but, um, so yesterday, which was the 4th of November, America officially withdrew from the uh, Paris Agreement. Um, and this post basically said that if we have to, so if Trump got re-elected and we had to wait another four or five years for another president to put us back into the Paris Agreement, it's sort uh, of too late by that point for meaningful change to happen. Yeah. It's in the sort of very near future. And I guess while everything is connected, uh, different things have a different deadline as well. Like I know koalas in Australia could be extinct by 2050 so obviously we're going to have to start acting now because so many generations of koalas we want to 
try and save them uh, yeah. sooner rather than later. So mm -hmm. yeah, everything has a different deadline while they are all connected, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like if you look at glaciers, the future of them isn't looking too good, but each glacier, although they're all technically like the same thing, they've all got very different sort of um, sort of deadlines for when we sort of need to do something just based on sort of maybe like how big they are or exactly where they are. There's a lot of different factors that will feed into that. But at the end of the day, everything's sort of heading down that negative route. I found that so interesting earlier when you were saying about like it's not just the ice melting that is on uh, land, but also once it's in the water, it can continue to expand with heat. Um, so it's not just like the amount of liquid, but also how much it'll expand as the planet gets warmer. Yeah, definitely. I didn't, hadn't thought of that. But that's the beauty of geo and earth science being such a combination of all of these different science areas because it's thinking about I guess that would count as like the physics of it and mm. that's that's exactly why I love this subject because it combines everything into one. Um, yeah that's awesome and I also remember when I found out like that the climate is always changing I think I saw that on one of your keeping up with the climate posts yeah um, which is cool um, if you could tell us a bit about past climatic phases um, because the climate is always changing and I hadn't thought of that and it's like of course I know like the climate's changing but climate change is a continuous thing I'm rambling a bit <laughs> yeah it's it's sort of a difficult um thing to tread because I've heard it uses an argument from not the non-believers but sort of the the side that are a little bit more against it so you have to kind of hear the whole picture to understand so basically climate change is something which throughout all of earth's history um it's happened so if we it's the, the further you go back it's harder to kind of find out exactly what happened but we know there were periods where the earth was warmer um there was a period a long time ago called Snowball Earth, which is basically where most of the Earth was covered in ice. So if we look as far down as like Africa, we can see um, rocks which would have been formed um, as part of kind of that glacier process. Um, but if we come forward more to, I say the recent history, when we say recent in geological times, we mean the last two million years. So <laughs> maybe not um, the recent that you'd expect. But um, this period, the Quaternary, it has been like a glacial period, but that doesn't mean that the Earth's been covered in ice for all of it. Um, the climate has very much gone up and down. So in the last two million years, um, so I, I kind of talk about England the most with this, is obviously it's where I'm from, it's where I've studied, but mm -hmm. this will definitely apply to a lot more places. But if anyone's been to England, you know what it's like. It can get warm, but generally it's very mild and rainy. Um, so there's been periods where ice has covered nearly all of England. And in the last two million years, there's also been periods where we found hippos in England, which um, you wouldn't expect that at the minute, but that just shows sort of the variation that's happened in our recent history. And that sort of... Um, it's a completely normal variation. It happens because of 
a lot of factors. So sort of the way that the earth moves around the sun, um, sort of the power that the sun gives out, um, it will be affected by um, things on earth like volcanoes. We also have something called the albedo effect, which basically means sort of the more white the earth is, that lighter colour, um, it will change the way that it reflects and absorbs um, heat as opposed to when it's kind of dark, when there's less ice, which is what's happening now, which then makes it warmer. So the, eye, the, the earth can make itself cooler or make itself warmer, depending on what this kind of surface is looking like at that time. Yeah, I guess whether it's reflecting or absorbing those that heat, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. That's That was a much better way to word it. <laughs> um, in terms of sort of climatic periods that have happened uh, more recently, so we've got um, the two sort of significant ones are the medieval climate anomaly, the MCA, which was then followed by the Little Ice Age, um, the LIA, and these are basically periods where the Earth experienced warming and then it experienced cooling. And these happened sort of over the last thousand years. So this is very much a recent thing. They weren't massive climatic changes. We're not talking about like the Earth being 10 degrees warmer. But even though they were only small changes, um, it, it changed a lot of things. So when you look at, for example, where people were farming, they can be either sort of at higher altitudes or lower altitudes, depending on what the climate's like, because if the climate's warmer, um, they can sort of move to those higher altitudes because it will be warmer up there. Then obviously, if you're in a colder period, if you think of sort of like an extreme example like Everest, you're not exactly going to be able to farm up there. <laughs> but you should sort of apply that. Um, we also look at things like, again, to do with that farming, like crop prices. So when it's like a warmer period, um, you might expect there to be maybe some more crops because um, like the growing conditions are a little bit better, so crop prices will go up, things like that. But there's, it, it sort of wasn't enough sort of over the last thousand years for it to be that massive difference. But if you look back towards, and I believe that it was... The, it was either like the Mayans or um, sort of like one of those um, communities in history. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly which one it is, but one of the reasons that we sort of believe that their civilization broke down is because of climate change, because they couldn't carry on the way they were. They didn't have as many resources, tensions increased, and it led to that civilization ending, basically. So we can learn a lot from that more recent sort of history about not necessarily that that's going to happen to us, hopefully it won't, <laughs> but we can see the effects that that has. Yeah, so with all of the bleak things we were talking about earlier with um, disasters and change for the worse and everything, I was wondering how you stay motivated as a climate activist to keep learning and sharing. Um, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Um, there's no point kind of denying that. Like, like at the minute, I'm uh, feeling a little bit stressed about it because of sort of waiting for these results. Obviously, whoever is elected will have a massive difference, as I said, with that Paris Agreement. So definitely times like now, um, 
I think because I study the planet as well and I'm sort of going down that climate route at the minute, that's maybe the thing that keeps me motivated that I'm not just campaigning for it. I'm not just, you know, I've changed a lot of things in my life to be more eco-friendly, but I'm doing the thing that sort of informs it all, that helps us know if it's getting better, if it's getting worse. I'm sort of like on the ground researching it. So I think that that is a bit of a comfort to me because I sort of know that I've committed pretty much everything to helping it. And thank you for that. I appreciate that you are putting in that work. Yeah, sometimes it's it, it's not the easiest. I know yeah. that yesterday I was trying to read about um, climate modelling and all I could think was, gosh, if if this goes badly, then my climate models are going to look a lot worse. Um, but sometimes you just got to put that out of your mind and kind of sort of try to get on with um, like the good side of it. And I know that at the mm-hmm. minute so I'm sat at my desk and I have got basically my, I've got a pin board like in front of my desk and it's covered in pictures and postcards. And I purposely put motivational ones so I can look up and be inspired but the one says hope is power and I think that's definitely applied a lot with like the climate movement that we've got that hope for a better world so well that's really nice fits in with the theme of my podcast (laughs) or at least the name of it I was looking at it and I was like well this is very relevant (laughs) that's awesome um speaking of uh pursuing a career in these things and study and everything I was wondering if you have any advice for someone about to start uni. If you're literally sort of at that, like you're ready to start, um, advice would be things like you're there for, what, three years or however long your course is, like make the most of it. And that can be in ways like the social side. Um, I feel like people either think about coming to uni for the social side or completely for the educational side. Um, But definitely get that balance because it's hard being at uni for three years, especially, you know, if you've moved away from home. I know that some people find that harder than others, so make the most of it. Make the most of it with your lecturers. They're, you know, they're there to help you. So, I mean, my lecturers must have been fed up with me because I went to them that much. (laughs) But any time I wanted help with anything, whether it was to do with my course or applications, I always went to them and it worked out well in the end. So... Um, that definitely worked and then maybe if you're a little bit further away from it maybe you're kind of thinking about applying to uni I'd say find something that you're passionate about because you know for the last year I've done a job which I'm not super passionate about and it's it's hard and that was just for a year so if you're doing it for three years just make sure that you're doing something that you love Um, it definitely makes the experience a lot easier Awesome. Thank you. That's very good advice. Um, I asked on Instagram as well a while ago, if you could ask a climate scientist anything, what would you want to know? And I got two answers. The first question was, well, it's not so much a question. They want to know everything the government isn't willing to tell us. (laughs) Do you know all of the government secrets? Unfortunately, I don't, but I think a lot of... A lot of it is about all the information is there. Obviously, it's a little bit more difficult if 
you don't understand the science behind it, but definitely don't rely on the government for education of things, which is why um, people who are doing things like me or like you doing podcasts or like science Instagram is really beneficial because it educates you on topics which maybe you wouldn't learn about at school or you wouldn't learn enough about. I know I literally spend all of my time listening to science podcasts and I, I don't think anything I've heard, I heard at school. So if you understand maybe the science a little bit more, so in terms of kind of like climate change, uh, there's something called the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. And they basically release reports. So they're in the process of completing the sixth one at the minute, which will be out next year. And that report basically outlines what's happening at the minute, what they project to happen in different situations. So if governments kind of start doing more for the planet or if they continue what they're doing, kind of doing a lot, um, and then how that's going to affect things, so how that's going to affect um, glaciers, people, farming. Um, it's As I say, that's maybe for if you understand the science a bit more because there is a lot of kind of um, technical information in there, but that's the information that governments use to inform their climate policies. So, yeah, it is all out there. You can easily kind of grab that if you type in um, like IPCC report unlike Google or if you're a bit more eco-friendly ecosia um yeah that sounds like a really interesting resource it is it's absolutely fantastic if you're studying anything to do with the climate there's so much information in there um I know that my absolute dream is to eventually contribute to the IPCC oh I'll keep an eye out for your name in it (laughs) Honestly, that would be like the pinnacle of my career. Um, so one day I'll be on there. I hope so. I think yeah. you will. <laughs> You're yeah, very motivated as a person. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, the next question um, on Instagram was, what's the one thing everyone could do that is small but will collectively be most positive? Um, so I'll probably go back to that Um In fact, I'd say two things. The first one is for like an everyday thing, try to do something to reduce your sort of like animal consumption. So maybe every time you go to Starbucks, get soya milk instead of dairy, Um, maybe do meat-free Mondays or whatever it is that would work for you. As I say, I don't think everyone should go vegan. It works for some people. It's not going to work for everyone. Uh, but trying to cut down somehow. And the other thing would definitely be that voting because the way that you vote will really change the way that the government will think about kind of like the climate and obviously their response to it. Okay, I've got two follow-up questions for that one. I was wondering, um, first, do you have any advice for uh, keeping up your political knowledge and understanding how to actually use your vote wisely. I've always found it quite overwhelming to actually do the research, even though I know it's so important. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think I'm very lucky that my uh, boyfriend, he knows a lot about it. And I definitely, I think sometimes maybe I rely on him more than I should to get my understanding of things. Um, 
I think because he knows about it, I just tend to be like, oh, can you tell me about this? But I've definitely learned a lot from the people that I follow on Instagram. So although most of the people that I follow are involved in um, science, you know, they're other scientists, they tend to be quite kind of politically active. So they post a lot of things. Um, I've definitely found out a lot about sort of the US elections at the minute from being on Instagram, which I know um, you probably wouldn't expect, but yeah. Um, other things I know that I, I'm sure it was on BBC News in the UK um, around our last election, there was a really good um, sort of section where you put in maybe the, the thing that you were interested in. You could look at everything, but it, it was quite a long list. So let's say I wanted to find out about the environment and you put in a political party and it will show you what each political party basically thought about that, what they wanted to do. Um, and I, I know that around those elections, I was telling people about it a lot and I was encouraging people to use it. Um, but hopefully, sort of, if there's an election coming up for you, there'll be a similar resource for your country, which will um, inform you. So I know that that was definitely the best place for me because it, it literally had everyone's environmental kind of policy ideas in one place. And I soon found out um, who was going to take that sort of rapid action that I talked about earlier and who definitely wasn't and who didn't care at all. So yeah. that was, yeah, that was definitely useful. That sounds pretty, pretty helpful <laughs> um, to do I the work for you in that way. Yeah, like where I was working at the time as well, um, a lot of people were um, less educated about the politics or they were sort of like in a more of like a stuck mindset on it just because of sort of the nature of um, that job. And I found that it was quite a useful resource to tell people about um, mm -hmm. as it wasn't hard to read. It wasn't complicated to find. It was it was super simple and it didn't it didn't make it wordy or anything. I think sometimes some places just like they add extra words for the sake of it. Um, it definitely didn't do that. Cool. I should start wrapping up soon because you've been so generous with your words and time. So I might just ask two more questions or so before I wrap up. Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Cool. Um, well, actually one of them's a comment. I was just going yeah. to say that it kind of um, connects back to um, the way that uh, you surround yourself with people with similar views and just kind of uh, absorb their uh, opinions and perspectives a little bit and also asking questions can be so so good I think um, the way you were talking about asking your lecturers questions and mm -hmm. asking your boyfriend for uh, like voting information and things like that like I think we get so nervous uh, to be actually vulnerable and admit that we don't know something but asking questions is a good thing to do I think yeah no I was at college they always joked that I was always the one to ask stupid questions but in my opinion like although I kind of I did find it funny because a lot of them were pretty like stupid questions but it was the only way that you know things would make sense to me sometimes I had to ask the obvious yeah I think, I think it can be fun as well Definitely. Like everyone would, you know, I'd ask a question, everyone would have a giggle, but in the end I understood it more. So 
like it just it didn't phase me and um, I know that it might take a lot of confidence to get to that point you know I've just started at a new university and even though I'm confident in asking those silly questions I've definitely still got to get that confidence up here doing it in front of like new people um and it's something which I am I'm struggling with a little bit I'm getting there but yeah just don't be afraid like at the end of the day if it means that you understand it more in the long run that's the most important thing yeah that sounds hard to have people actually laughing because I think most of the time when you ask a question there's probably at least two other people wanting to know the same thing oh definitely so so you're helping them (laughs) yeah if yeah if you know what if it helps at least one other person then it's worth being laughed at (laughs) and the other question I was just going to ask briefly is um animal uh, products how does that affect the environment because I have a bit of an idea of it but I don't think it's something that everyone necessarily connects two and two without watching some documentaries or consuming some information yeah I know that when we talk about it at home my dad just laughs because he thinks it's about like cows farting um, (laughs) which I think is kind of what a lot of people think Um, but it's a lot more than that so um, if you've ever had an animal, then you know how much an animal will eat. Um, I have been lucky enough to have horses and the amount of things like hay they consume, and that's just for, you know, like one horse. So you have to think if we use the example of the cow, to get that cow to the point where it's, I guess, sort of meaty enough for you to want to eat it, basically, it's going to have to be fed a lot. So first of all, your cow... You're thinking about the land use. Um, It's not just one cow for you to eat. We're talking about all of the animals to feed everyone. So that's a lot of land used for that. But then also um, the amount of space it takes to grow their food because we're not just feeding them. We're feeding them to be used as food. So they have to have a lot more somewhere around. And it's it's fairly simple to find. I'm not sure what the, um, the numbers are off the top of my head. But the amount of um, like grains that are produced that are used for animal kind of agriculture is it's shocking that they need that much food when it is it's something I'm not going to say it's 80 percent, but we're looking at that kind of number. And when you think about the amount of people in the world who are starving, actually, if you use that land more effectively for human food, then you could um you could better feed the world's population. So um, when you think of that sort of animal agriculture and the um, the negative effects on the environment, we're thinking about the land use space um, for the animals themselves, the food, the water it takes. Obviously, growing those crops is going to take a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And in countries where it's hotter, um, you know, there's places in America where it is, you get like desert areas and they grow crops there and it's sort of like where are you getting that water from and then there's also if your food needs to be transported um then there's that extra kind of um impact from the emissions i think that's just about yeah that's a lot oh yeah even just adding that little bit on top about the shipping as well as um the fact that however much of the food is produced a certain percentage it of it is to go into animals so that they can become food um, when it would have gone a lot further if it had been given to humans directly. Yeah, like I know saying. that um, like when it came to my horse, 
Um, to be honest, I, the one thing that I never looked at was where that food came from. So again, like horses are given that grain type of feed, but I don't know if that came from somewhere like in the UK, like fairly close by. I assume it does, but you know, it might not. And it's something which even I never thought to look at. So yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. But obviously your horse is a pet, so it deserves, it deserves feed. (laughs) Yeah, I think... All animals deserve feed, but they don't deserve to be created to be eaten necessarily. 100%. (laughs) And I know that um, sort of when I've got my own house and my own pets, I'm going to make it all as eco-friendly as possible. So um, whether that's looking at buying their food without plastic, which is, it's more difficult to do, but it's possible. Or, um, you know, I want a cat. Obviously that's going to eat meat, but looking at, getting it from a more sustainable source. Um, I don't know as if I'd trust some of like the cheaper brands because I don't know, um, again, how how far that meat's traveled, um, things like that. It's a tricky balance. And I think um, that I personally don't judge anyone for their choices, especially when it's because of their circumstances. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you've just got different priorities, but if people yeah. are making the effort, then that's amazing. Definitely, um, like as I said, like if 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 I do that, I know that the products that I'm looking at are more expensive, and it's a luxury that I can do that. And unfortunately, not everyone um, is in the same situation. So I know that I'm definitely uh, privileged to be able to think about doing that. Amazing. Thank you for talking with me so broadly in like areas that you're both passionate about and professional about, and kind of mixing it up for me. It was really interesting to hear from you. So right. I could literally, I could talk about this stuff for like hours and hours and hours. I <laughs> always there... say, don't get me started unless you're ready for that. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to discuss? Um, I don't think so. As you say, we've covered like quite a lot of different areas. So Awesome. Um, so where can the people find you online? And is there anything else you're involved in that you'd like to tell people about? Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Glacier Galliaz. Um, Instagram's the one that I use the most. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, but don't expect big things from that. <laughs> um, I am involved in a couple of other things at the minute, but um, I sort of can't say them out loud yet. I don't want to be like, okay. you know, when you watch YouTubers and they're like, oh, I can't tell you yet. <laughs> um, but um, it's okay. Yeah. They'll have to keep an eye on your feed to see when those things are announced. Definitely. Hopefully the one I can talk about soon. Um, I just don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, so I'm not going to talk about it publicly yet. Okay. But but yeah, that'll definitely be coming in the near future. Okay, I can mention it maybe if it's out by the time I publish this episode. Yeah, definitely. I'll let you know. Cool. It's been amazing talking to you. Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. It's all right. So I can now reveal what that exciting news was. Remember how Yaz said an absolute dream of hers would be to contribute to the IPCC? Well, she was an expert reviewer for an IPCC report that will be coming out this year. I was so excited for her when I heard. She's also currently doing her PhD on sea ice. If you want to keep up with her journey like I do, you can follow her on Instagram at GlacierGalYaz. She does some amazing science communication. While you're on Instagram, feel free to follow at Be Hope Wildlife. I'd love to connect and hear what you think about the show. Be Hope Wildlife's theme is by Crichton Music. I'll leave everyone's links in the show notes. 
Thank you for listening and today just do what you can.